This episode of The Witch Wave has been brought to you by Tarot and Tea Ritual Boxes. Tarot and Tea has traveled through the centuries, from mountains and seas, from temples and palaces, to find its way to you. They believe the magic of tarot and tea can change life, sip by sip and card by card. It is a spell woven daily through their curated ritual tea boxes, which feature fine art and indie tarot decks and personalized readings, as well as ancient and artisanal teas and so much more. Each box is designed to provide delightful adventures, enchanted experiences, and personal evolution, and invites you to seize the magic hidden in plain sight, the present moment. And here's something special just for Witch Wave listeners. You can use offer code WITCH for 20% off anything in their shop. And that includes 20% off your first subscription box. So go to tarotandtea.com. That's tarot, T-A-R-O-T, the letter N, T-E-A dot com. And use offer code WITCH now for 20% off. This episode of The Witch Wave is brought to you by Dear Women. Dear Women is your source for ritual teas, beauty secrets, and magic potions. They offer tea blends such as Dewilda Witch for increasing dreams and intuition, and natural beauty products like their Dark Violet Luna Daga Lip Balm. And you can get 40% off their concoctions by using offer code WITCH on their website, dearwomen.net. That's dear, spelled like the animal, women.net. And use offer code WITCH for 40% off today. The world is filled with bewitching people, and you might be one too. Welcome to the podcast where art is magic, magic is real, and reality is stranger than dreams. I'm Pam Grossman, and this is The Witch Wave. Welcome to season two of The Witch Wave. Oh, how I've missed you guys. Thank you so much to those of you who stayed in touch over the summer via The Witch Wave Pod Instagram and Twitter and our email. It's been so, so great to get all of your messages and to keep expanding our magic circle. But it is really, really wonderful to be back and I hope you all had a joyful few months, which is admittedly pretty challenging to do with all of the horrible news that we've been bombarded with lately. I myself have been trying really hard to strike a balance between staying engaged and taking breaks when I need to. And it's really, really tricky. I think most of us can relate to that. 
In my case, I've had the very challenging but extremely good fortune of having a very big personal project that I need to stay focused on. And that is this book that I have coming out next summer. And I should say, I have lots of exciting details to share around that. The title is Waking the Witch, Reflections on Women, Magic, and Power. And I'm thrilled to say that it's already available for pre-order online right now. So if you're interested, it's available at all the usual places and pre-orders really are a huge help. So thank you so much for considering to do that. But now that my shameless plug is out of the way, I will say that getting to work on this book has been a real gift because it's forced me to put my attention and energy into something I really care about that I have some semblance of control over. And it's been really nourishing to try and create something that I hope will be an offering of goodness and magic and empowerment. And that's what I keep coming back to regarding how we as witches and creative people and citizens can best cope and contribute during these really painful times. Certainly, we need to vote, as I hope you will all join me in doing on November 6th and onward. We need to protest. We need to donate our time and our money to the things that we believe in. But there's a lot of different conversation right now about things like group spells that keep happening to protest different politicians, and I absolutely support the sentiment of them if I might have a different style of doing it myself, uh, but that's a, a much bigger conversation for another time. What I will say is that I also hope that in addition to focusing on the problems, we can focus on being part of the solution. I am hoping that we can remain as generative and generous as we can and also snatch moments of joy whenever we can. That's not a luxury or an indulgence. It is crucial that we do this to keep our batteries recharged and keep ourselves replenished so we can keep committing over and over again and devoting ourselves to fighting the causes that really, really matter. Anger is so crucial and it can be an engine for real change. I'm angry too. I'm furious every day. But I try to remind myself that love and beauty and kindness are revolutionary forces as well and they are just as necessary. There's a poem by one of my very favorite writers, Diane de Prima, and it's called First Draft Poet Laureate Oath of Office, and I'm just going to read the last segment to you. She writes, My vow is to remind us all to celebrate. There is no time too desperate, no season that is not a season of song. And I know that's really, really hard to do when we're suffering, when the people that we love are under threat, when we're under threat. But it's something that I keep coming back to. How can I honor pain? How can I be a force for protection and for standing up for the people that I love, for the planet that I love, and still take time to 
step into joy and step into sweetness and celebration. And it bears repeating, there is no time too desperate, no season that is not a season of song. While we're on the topic of seasons, we've just entered my favorite, the season of the witch. And there's a full moon in the sky. Halloween and Samhain and Day of the Dead and All Souls are all almost upon us. And here in New York, there's a chill in the air. It's such a spectacular time of year. And it's one that's all about honoring our ancestors. Samhain is the time when it's believed that the spirit world is more easily accessible to us. So even if you're going to be out at Halloween parties or taking your kids trick-or-treating, it's also great to take the time to be quiet and light candles in memory of those who came before. Some of us have ancestor altars with photographs and items that are related to our loved ones who have passed. But even if you just take a moment to stop and breathe and think of the people whose lives gave you life and say thank you to them, it's such a beautiful thing to do. And it's also, I find, a great source of strength. And bear in mind that our ancestors don't have to be just blood ancestors. These can be friends, these can be chosen family, any loved ones who mean something to you. Maybe you want to honor your heroes, the freedom fighters and artists and scientists and so on who inspire you and whose energy you'd like to better channel into your own life. It's not only a good opportunity to give thanks or ask the ancestors for help, but also to reflect upon the fact that generations before us have suffered and fought and laughed and loved. And despite their struggles, or perhaps because of them, we are here now. Samhain is not just about death, it's about affirming life. And obviously eating a shit ton of candy. I mean, that's a given. Now, speaking of deliciousness and creativity, I have a scrumptious guest who I'll be speaking with in just a few minutes, and that is Joshua Conkel, who is one of the writers on the new Netflix show, Chilling Adventures of Sabrina. I'm so excited for this series, and it comes out this Friday, October 26th, and I'll be talking to Josh all about that and his tarot practice and plenty of other stuff. But before we get to that, first, let's check and see what's come through on The Witch Wire. Who is it? Witches! Bishop writes, I'm trying to decide on what my first tarot deck will be. Do you have a favorite deck? Well, I am very glad you brought this up, Bishop, because it gives me the opportunity to talk about one of my very favorite artists, Pamela Coleman-Smith, also known as Pixie Coleman-Smith. And the most common and popular tarot deck you'll find was illustrated by her, though for about the first hundred years, it was published under the name the Rider Waite Deck. You've seen it. You know what the images look like. They are the standard. They are the icon for modern tarot and have been for the last century or so. 
And it's a really great first deck to learn on because it's so universal and because so much scholarship and study has gone into it. But I recommend that you honor Pixie's contribution and seek out the newer versions of the deck that have her name on the box as she rightly deserves. So if you do decide to get this deck, make sure you are buying the Smith Weight deck, not the Rider Weight deck. You want the Smith Weight deck. I know lots of shops and friends that will no longer use or carry the one that doesn't have her name on it um, because her contribution was so immense, she was barely paid anything for it, and the least we can do is to honor her legacy and her gift by making sure that her name is emblazoned on the cover of the deck that we may use. And there's so much more to say about Pamela Coleman-Smith. Hopefully it'll come up on a future episode. But I will add that many have surmised that in addition to being a hugely gifted and magical woman artist, Pixie was also quite possibly of mixed race and or queer. There's a new book all about her that was released by Stuart R. Kaplan called Pamela Coleman-Smith, The Untold Story. And there's also a really great episode of another podcast called Missing Witches that's all about her too, and I really recommend it. But all of that said, Bishop, you know, my first deck was not the deck that Pamela Coleman Smith designed. Mine was actually called the Sacred Rose Tarot deck, and it was by Joanna Gargiulo Sherman. I got it in the 90s at a New Age bookstore when I was a teenager. And I chose it because it was so beautiful and it just seemed to call to me. I didn't start using the Smith weight or the Rider weight, as it was called back then, for many, many years after that. So I would say trust yourself and just pick whichever deck feels right to you. It really, really is that simple. And you might want to listen to an earlier Witch Wave episode with tarot reader extraordinaire Lindsay Mack from last season, because she has some really wise things to say about tarot overall and how you can get started. I hope that helps and happy reading. So speaking of tarot, my guest Joshua Conkle is a tarot reader, a playwright, a screenwriter, and a practicing witch. He was a writer for Netflix's hit adaptation of a series of unfortunate events, and he's written the award-winning film Curmudgeons, which was directed by Danny DeVito and stars Danny DeVito. Josh is now currently one of the writers for the new Netflix show Chilling Adventures of Sabrina, which I have been counting down the days for since I heard about it many, many, many months ago. I couldn't be more excited. And it's finally debuting this Friday. That's two days from when this episode drops on October 26th. So tune in. Josh's plays have been developed by Steppenwolf, Soho Rep, Ensemble Studio Theater, and many more. And he also has some exciting film work coming up too. It was such a thrill to speak to Josh about Sabrina, tarot, and lots of other witchy topics when he Skyped into the show from his home in L.A.
Joshua Conkle, welcome to the Witch Wave. Hi, I'm so excited to be here. I'm so thrilled that you're here, and I feel like you and I have been talking about doing this for eight and a half years or something. It's so great to finally have you. I think we started talking in 1975. Yes, we were communicating in the etheric realm. Well, I am so happy to have you for a number of reasons. First of all, you have been on my radar for a long time. Certainly, I'm thrilled to be speaking to you in the context of Chilling Adventures of Sabrina, which we're going to be talking all about. But (laughs) I was aware of your work many years ago, actually as a playwright first uh, through my husband, Matt. You started in theater and now you're writing for television. What do you like about either medium? The thing that I think people misunderstand about theater A lot of times people will say in the theater, you're limited. You have to write something that takes place on one set. You have to write these sort of kitchen sink dramas. And really, that's a misunderstanding. I think the limitations of theater create a sort of freedom. The audience is expected to use their imagination in a way that they're not tasked with in film and television. And so I think that that creates this beautiful challenge and a a certain amount of weird freedom. But... Certainly the paycheck is better in television and film. (laughs) I worked full time in advertising the whole time that I was in New York writing plays. And so this is the only way that I've been able to make my living as a writer. And the truth is that the most successful playwrights are not making their living from writing plays. They're professors or they're working in television. So it's sort of a weird moment where most of my peers are in Los Angeles writing for TV now. And is there something liberating, though, about having a big budget or are there limitations? Because obviously you're not the only writer on this show. You're one of uh, a coven, if you will. I mean, yeah, it's both. I'm not the showrunner of Sabrina. I'm a writer, so it's not my voice. I'm in service of Roberto's voice. And then because there's so much money involved, there are so many voices and everyone gets a say so. And so the kind of corporate ladder of the thing is, is pretty extreme, but I really love doing it. And my dream has always been to write a show like this. My dream show would be to reboot Dark Shadows, but of course, Tim Burton has ruined that for me. So (laughs) this is the closest I'm ever going to get to Buffy. You know what though? I think that Dark Shadows could use another revisit. Don't give up on that dream. Wouldn't you love to see like a really earnest, really scary Dark Shadows? Yes. Are you kidding me? Same. And I'm also like having to come to terms with what Johnny Depp turned into. God, it's such a fright. It's such a fright and such a vast disappointment. I would love to see somebody different in that role as well. So, Josh, earlier you mentioned the name Roberto, and I'd love to hear more about who that is. I'm a big fan of his, but I imagine a lot of people who are listening don't know him and don't even know the background of The Chilling Adventures of Sabrina. So Roberto Aguirre Sacasa is a playwright and screenwriter. He's done all sorts of things people have seen, like the Carrie remake. More importantly to this conversation, he's the showrunner of both Riverdale and The Chilling Adventures of Sabrina. And he's also the creative director, something like that, of Archie Comics. So he's been sort of responsible for rebooting the Archie universe and making it a little sexier and a little darker. He's a really big horror fan, a really big genre fan. And I think that they originally wanted to do a Sabrina show 
even before a Riverdale show. But what I heard is that Melissa Joan Hart had the rights to the character for like years and years and years and years. So, of course, she's a bajillionaire. And as soon as Archie got the rights back again, they were able to do a, a new Sabrina. That is so fascinating. I had no idea. And of course, yeah. Melissa Joan Hart, who starred in the 90s version of Sabrina the Teenage Witch, which some of you might be familiar with, and we can definitely, <laughs> definitely want to touch on that too. But Roberto has really injected the Archie series with a lot of horror elements, not so much the Riverdale series, but certainly in the comics he did Afterlife with Archie, which if I'm not mistaken, that was the first time that Sabrina had a cameo in this new Archie. And I think she like helps Jughead resurrect his dog from the dead, if I'm remembering that. I think that. so. I think yeah. that's right. Yes. And by the way, Riverdale is getting, I've been watching season three because we share the same offices as those writers. And I don't think it's aired yet, but it gets way more horror. And it's sort of like, Roberta, let Riverdale stay in its lane, please. Like, let's, <laughs> let's have one supernatural show. Thank you. Um, <laughs> Noted. 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 <laughs> and I have to ask this question, and I'm sure you're not going to be able to answer it because <laughs> this is airing uh, two days before your show debuts. Will there be crossovers between the other Archie characters and Riverdale with your show? I can answer this, actually. Oh. Um, I think it's out there. There aren't any planned currently, and we're doing two seasons. And these two seasons, there will not be any crossovers. And that's mostly because we're on different networks. We're on Netflix, and they're on CW, and it just logistically is a nightmare. I know that everyone would love to do crossovers, but it just doesn't seem feasible at this exact moment. Interesting that you bring up timelines because – the comic series does take place in the 1960s. Mm -hmm. And I noticed at least the trailer for Chilling Adventures, your show, has this 1960s aesthetic. So I could see how that could be a tricky thing to navigate because the aesthetic, at least, if not the timeline of Riverdale, is so much more modern. Yeah, but I mean, the truth is that Riverdale has a timeless feel to it. It's set today, but the aesthetic is very 1950s. And so I'm not really allowed to talk about Sabrina that specifically, but okay. I don't think that the fans of the comic book will be disappointed. Quick, Josh, tell us three things you shouldn't tell us. Go. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay. Speaking of that aesthetic, though, I've read that there are intentionally a lot of nods to the 1960s and 1970s horror movies like Rosemary's Baby and The Exorcist. Is that coming from you guys in the writer's room as well? Or was that a directive that came down from on high? That came from Roberto. He's a big fan of horror movies specifically from the 60s and 70s. And essentially everyone in the room is kind of a horror expert. So it's really fun. I'm a big horror nerd and always have been. And I've never been in a room before where I can reference Nightmare on Elm Street 3 casually and everyone <laughs> knows what I'm talking about. So totally. yeah, there's tons of Rosemary's Baby, tons of The Omen, tons of even deeper cuts like Let's Scare Jessica to Death and The Shining and Friday the 13th. It's all in the mix and it's really super fun. 
I want to get into the conversation around horror and the witch specifically, because there are so many different points of view about that. Certainly in the witchcraft community, there are people who understandably say, look, there's been thousands of years of witches being oppressed and murdered and people being scared of witches. There's certainly been several hundred years of witches being associated with Satan and the devil coming off of the European witch hunts and the Salem witch trials and so on. And as someone who is a practitioner and someone who identifies as a witch myself, I totally understand this point of view of oh, we don't want to keep showing witches as evil because we're real human beings who identify this way and we don't want to put ourselves in danger. I totally get it. And yet I'm a huge fan of, of this genre. I'm a huge fan of witch stories that are satanic and diabolical at times. And I'm just wondering what your point of view is on that <laughs> and what the show's point of view is on all that as well. Yeah, yeah. I'm sympathetic to that point of view. I'm also a practicing witch. I have been for 20 years. So I really do understand that. But the show is ironic. It's tongue in cheek. What we're doing is if people listening have seen the movie The Vavitch, we're doing that, but we're setting it in the modern day. So the idea is what if the Puritans were right about what witches are? And then what would that religion, if it had been living underground, look like today, watered down? So it's very Adam's family. It's very tongue in cheek. It's very silly. And I, I wish that people could see the irony and fun in that without taking it to heart. And, and the other thing is that this is really, if anything, trolling puritanical conservative ideology, not witches. We're having a laugh at what they believe witches to be. So I hope that people in the pagan and witchy communities can see that for what it is. And I also have to say, I've been seeing a lot of comments online that, of course, I can't respond to, but I want to, that are like, real witches are this, or all witches know this. And it's like, who are you to speak for witches? There are witches in every country, in every religion, in every tradition. And so it kind of is a bugaboo of mine that people would deign to speak for all witches. And then the last thing I'll say is that for better or for worse, these pop culture representations of witches bring people to witchcraft. You know, I, I grew up watching Bewitched on Nick at Night, and I never thought that that was a representation of what witches really were. And I was five. And I think that the same is true of our show. And I just hope people take it for what it is and see the irony and fun and joy in it. And I think that people watching the show are going to love our witches. They're the main characters and they're really sympathetic and it's just a bit of fun. I agree with you so wholeheartedly. One of the things that I think about a lot and that I am writing about is that nobody owns the witch. And I do think there's this misconception that there's only one way to be a witch or that there's this certain set of dogma you have to follow. There's a certain identity that you have to embody. And in fact, the witch has always been fact and fiction at the same time and both keep informing each other. And it's an evolving archetype too. Absolutely. And, you know, I was a teenager in the 90s in the Pacific Northwest, and that was right 
smack in the middle of the craft coming out. And suddenly every girl in my junior high was a Wiccan and people had all sorts of criticisms of that movie and its portrayal of Wicca. But guess what? A whole generation of people came to witchcraft because of that movie. So say what you want, but it did a service at the end of the day. I love that. That's really, really an interesting take on it. On that note, we're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back. Have you visited chaseandscout.com yet? Elle creates beautiful handcrafted jewelry that brings unique spirit to your style to make you look and feel spectacular. I especially love the incorporation of natural objects from the hidden realms of lush gardens and wild forests to capture the essence of nature's dark beauty. You can order directly from Elle's one-woman Austin studio or collaborate with her on the custom jewelry design of your dreams. You can follow Elle on Instagram at Chase and Scout Jewelry for a peek into her process. And if you place an order using offer code WITCH, you'll save 20%. So go on ahead to chaseandscout.com and find a little natural magic of your own. This episode of The Witch Wave is sponsored by VanessaTarot.com. Vanessa is a Native American healer from Montana who offers tarot and oracle card readings by Skype, FaceTime, and good old-fashioned telephone. Vanessa specializes in spirit animal readings and pet grief counseling. She believes that you know your pet better than anyone, and she teaches you how to use the cards to receive your pet's messages, both the ones here and the ones beyond. Right now, Witchwave listeners will receive 20% off any one-hour reading or counseling session by using offer code WITCH. You can pre-book your appointment all the way through December. However, that code turns into a pumpkin at midnight on Halloween. So go now to VanessaTarot.com to book your reading and use offer code WITCH from now until October 31st, 2018. Welcome back to The Witch Wave. Today I'm speaking with Joshua Conkle. So Josh, we were talking about your coming of age story as a young witch, or at least a witch to be in the Pacific Mm -hmm. Northwest. And I'd love to hear a little bit more about how you got into witchcraft and when you started identifying as a witch. Well, I always loved Halloween and ghost stories and all that sort of stuff. My family is originally from Eastern Kentucky. And so there is a strong tradition of kitchen magic in the family. Mm -hmm or, you know, granny magic, some people like to call it. So that was kind of always around, like, I'd hear stories about how my grandmother or great grandmother could like whisper off people's warts and that kind of thing. So that was always around. My mother is pretty witchy, although I don't think that she would call herself a witch. So I always loved horror movies and spooky stuff. And then when we moved to Washington in the nineties, I started hanging out with the riot girls at school, you know, and hanging out like the queer and female punk scene of the time. And so a lot of those girls were into Wicca, which was sort of zeitgeisty at that time. And so I started through Wicca. I was a practicing Wiccan and that kind of went away in my twenties and I became a staunch atheist for many, many years. 
And a few years ago, when I was going through a particularly painful, dark time living in New York, I sort of started to dip my toes back in again. So I'm not a Wiccan. I have a, an ancestor altar in my house and I do sort of practical kind of kitcheny magic. And that's kind of where I am now. I appreciate hearing your point of view on that in two respects. First of all, the fact that witchcraft or any kind of spiritual path doesn't have to be a straight line. And sometimes you can be into something when you're younger and fall away from it and then find your way back to it. And that's completely valid and legitimate. So thank you for sharing that. And secondly, the fact that you don't call yourself Wiccan, because I've chosen not to call myself Wiccan either. And I'm curious, what makes you decide to use the word witch and not Wiccan? I just don't really vibe with Wicca. No shade to that religion or to those practitioners. But first of all, I am agnostic. I don't worship any particular deities that doesn't resonate with me. For me, magic is the act of taking your intentions and making them manifest through ritual, crafting, spoken word. So it's just a more beautiful version of making dream boards for me, basically. Mm -hmm. You know, it's practical. I think of it as very pragmatic and practical. I know that's sort of very male of me, but a lot of the more woo-woo stuff doesn't really resonate with me. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And it's a creative practice and you're a writer, you know, so it Yeah, it it's sense. called witchcraft. So for me, it's a craft, not necessarily a religion, I guess, is the distinction I would make. Mm -hmm. So are you the only practicing witch that's working on Sabrina right now? I don't want to speak for other people. I don't okay. know if they would identify that way. But there is a woman who lives full time in Salem, Massachusetts when she's not writing the show and is certainly an expert on the history of witchcraft in America and specifically in New England. I think that she dabbles. We also have a professional astrologer who I'm pretty sure might consider herself at least witchy, if not a witch. Mm -hmm. And to be honest, working on this show, everyone started to dabble a little bit. Like one of the writers has an enemy in Hollywood. And so he wrote down this person's name and put it in the ice box. <gasps> you know, that Ooh. sort of stuff has been happening for a good few months now, <laughs> just from virtue of being on the show. Yeah, it's funny. I hear that that happens a lot. I mean, it certainly happened on the set of The Craft, where I think both Feruza Balk and Rachel True, two of the actors in The Craft, they were interested yeah. in The Craft. But the more they were like working on this, the deeper they got into it. Yeah. So I'm not surprised. Is the cast or the crew dabbling at all that you know of? Not that I know of, although I know Lucy uh, Davis, who plays Aunt Hilda, is very into healing and Reiki and that kind of stuff. And Why I know not? Miranda Otto is super into astrology. So some of them are more into it than others, I think. More sympathetic. Very, very yeah. interesting. I wonder if that's going to change. <laughs> I hope it does. Um, and the other thing that's fun about the show I feel like this is a correlation, but I don't exactly know why. Maybe you do. There aren't any heterosexual men working on the show. Our writing staff is all women and queer men. Whoa! Yeah. The only straight dude is our assistant, who's great, but, you know. And then, of course, the show is about witches, so it's female-centered. Um, so it's really a team of women and gay men making the show. And so 
I think everyone feels a certain amount of freedom in this room that they might not if they were working on like a CSI show or something. Exactly. Oh, that's so beautiful. That really, really fills my heart. I love that. And I'm wondering, there is certainly darkness and some kind of malevolent magic that seems to be part of the plot line of the show and certainly is in the comic books. And I have to ask, are you guys concerned about using certain symbols or certain words? Are you doing things to protect yourselves or do you not take it that seriously at all? We reference horror movies more than we reference actual witchcraft. And you would think that the fact that I'm a witch would have helped me in this job, but actually it can be a bit of a liability. Anytime one of the writers has tried to pitch something that's like a real tradition, Roberto has seemed to buckle at that a little bit. I don't think that he's interested in borrowing from real witchcraft traditions so much just because I think he views it as a trap rather than like an asset. So for him, being that these are satanic witches and they have crazy fictional supernatural powers, it's better to just borrow from literature and film rather than real witch traditions, if that makes sense. No, it absolutely does. It does make sense. One thing I've been thinking a lot about with Sabrina is how this story in particular And if I'm not mistaken, the 90s show of Sabrina did this too. They both hinge on her 16th birthday, right? It's this Mm -hmm. kind of coming of age moment. And I've been thinking a lot about how the teen witch as a trope is such a metaphor for the kind of new powers for better and for worse kids get and certainly teen girls get in puberty. Suddenly you have this sexuality that you're contending with, whether or not you're feeling sexual feelings or projecting it through your body and all the positive and negative things that that comes with, as well as trying to establish your identity as an individual separate from your family or separate from teachers and so on. And I was curious If you see any of those parallels as well, or have been intentionally thinking about teenagers and witches as kind of metaphors for each other. Yeah, I mean, I've spent my career writing for teenagers and young people mostly, so I think about it a lot. From the outside, I think that teen witches are appealing because the patriarchy is afraid of women. And so watching someone turn from a little girl into a sexual being, adult woman, is scary. Whether people understand that consciously or not, it's there in the subconscious. And then for women, and especially young women, it's appealing because witches have power. And women, you know, at the age of 15, 16, are going through the process of coming into their power. And so to see that fictionalized in this sort of cinematic way, I think is really appealing. Yeah. And I am so excited by who is playing your teen witch, Kiernan. She's the best. She's the best. She's one of the hardest working actors I've ever worked with. She's 18 years old. By the way, we shoot six days a week, 14 hours a day, and she's in every single scene. Wow. So 
She never has a bad attitude. She's always got a kind word to say. She's really funny and charming and sweet. And that trickles down to the other young people on the show. And it's so wonderful because on other shows like this, not to name any names, but... (laughs) Some of the young people will let the success and the fame go to their head and then Mm -hmm. they become monsters and it becomes like a whole nightmare scenario. And that's just not our experience. Our adults are consummate professionals, of course, and are therefore really kind. But our young people are so sweet and they love each other and they're just up there in Vancouver hanging out and having the best time. And it's just like a dream come true. And it all hinges on Kiernan. That's so awesome. I literally screamed when I found out it was going to be her. When there's a property or a story that you have a kinship with and then they cast it badly, it's the most like disappointing, sickening feeling. And I fell in love with her on Mad Men, as I imagine a lot of people did yeah. when she was playing Sally Draper. And I was like, oh, she's perfect. She's actually a great, serious actor and has gravitas. Yeah. So I was really thrilled about that. You know, believe me, there are people out there with big money bags that want Sabrina to be a 25-year-old sexy blonde bombshell. And Kiernan is beautiful, but she's not that. Our Sabrina is a social justice warrior. She's interested in fairness. She does what's right even when it's hard. She's really tough and cool and a rebel. And I bet you anything you're going to hear that she's shrill. You're going to hear that she's annoying. And it's just because she's a young woman who is fully in her power and doesn't give a fuck. Yep. And honestly, I think about how Hermione in Harry Potter at first was written. The boys found her a little bit bossy. And just this idea that if a young woman is forthright and righteous and knows her own mind and has opinions and dares to voice those opinions. Some people choose to frame them as shrill or bitchy or any of those shitty words that we use to talk about women with voice and women with power. Yeah. She doesn't always make the right choice either. That's what makes her a real teenager, but she does what she thinks is right in the moment and thinks that it's important to do in the moment. She's very much like Hermione in that way, I'd say. And it's interesting too, because it's 2018 and there are people that are like, why is Harvey so sensitive? Why can't he be stronger? And that's coded language, of course. As a gay man, I can spot that from a hundred miles away. Harvey being her boyfriend, Harvey Kinkle. Yeah, Harvey Kinkle. Why is Sabrina always saving Harvey? Why can't he save her? And it's like, well, because she's a witch and she's the hero of our show. (laughs) You know, it's such a weird thing to hear in this day and age, but it's a funny thing. And speaking of identity issues, I was really impressed also by the cast. It's really diverse. It's certainly much more diverse than the original Sabrina comic from the 1960s was. Mm. And I imagine people are going to be pretty excited to see that too. And that's something that I've been noticing a lot. (laughs) You know, the reboot of Charmed being Latina. And I just read that there's a reboot of Bewitched coming and Samantha is going to be played by a black actor. And that's really, really thrilling to see. So I'm so happy that you guys are being mindful about that too. Yeah, I mean, this is the second TV show I've worked on, and it's definitely a thing that people in Hollywood are conscious of and talking about a lot, a lot, a lot. Our writer's room is very diverse, and so that helps make sure that the cast is diverse, the crew is diverse. It's really important to the room collectively. That's so awesome. Josh, we're going to take another quick break, and we'll be right back. 
This episode of The Witch Wave is brought to you by Angela Mary Magic. Do you ever need an experienced witch to whip you up a spell? Angela Mary Magic is your safe space for confidential spellbound rites. Enter her enchanted online portal where you'll receive an enormous array of seasoned bespoke witchery. And Angela Mary is now offering her most tender and personal spell work of her life called Moon Coven. This is a year and a day of spells that Angela Mary is casting for all 13 full moons, new moons, and eight turns of the wheel from October 2018 through October 2019. And if you sign up now, she'll weave your personal intentions into the magic too. You may purchase the entire quiver of 34 spells or in an a la carte fashion, choose specific spells on certain moons or holidays for yourself or someone else as a gift. And if that's not enough, she also offers spellbinding products such as her Atmosphere Magic Mist, and she does online booking for bespoke tarot sessions through a feminist witch lens too. Follow the path to her Instagram account at Angela Mary Magic. That's magic with a CK. Lucky Witch Wave listeners receive a whopping 70% off Moon Coven. That's 70% off her Moon Coven spells, utilizing offer code WITCH at checkout. Head over to AngelaMaryMagic.com for all the divine details. Welcome back to The Witch Wave. I'm speaking with Joshua Conkle. So Josh, we're of course talking about Sabrina the Teenage Witch and talking about The Chilling Adventures of Sabrina, which you are a writer for, the new Netflix series that is coming out very, very shortly on October 26th. So everybody has to watch it. I can't wait. But I am curious in terms of what it's like to be writing for a character that, by my estimation, is over 50 years old. I mean, Sabrina came out in the 1960s, and she's gone through all of these different iterations and reincarnations. Are you guys looking back to the 1990s Sabrina? Are you looking back to the 1960s and 70s Sabrina? Or is it mostly going off of the new comic? It's mostly going off of the new comic. We're very aware, of course, of the older iterations. I think probably we go back to the old 60s comic the most, just because the 90s show is first a comedy and also more recent. So we know that people are going to be comparing us to that show. And so I think it feels safer to think about it less, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. I know that Lucy Davis and Caroline Ray, who both have played Hilda, are kind of in touch with each other. I know that the old cast has commented on the new show. They're just so different that we can't really use it is Mm -hmm. the frank answer. So it's a weird thing, though. So it's very intimidating. I know that when our show was in testing, people would say, oh, where's this character? And they're like, well, that character is not on this show. And they're like, oh, but that character was on the 90s show. And it's like, yes, but this is a different show. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so we're we're dealing with that kind of stuff a lot. We're just trying to like keep our eye on what we're doing without thinking about the past too much because it, it's a little debilitating if you let it be. Of course. I have to say, as someone who's such a fan of witch culture and a culture, I kind of love hearing that you guys are having these challenges, 
if only because I feel like the superhero world has contended with this for so long, or even right. a property like Star Trek. How do you reboot these characters that a lot of people have grown up with and have associations with? And I'm happy that witches are big enough to have that problem now. <laughs> that makes sense. And the thing about Sabrina specifically is like, even though we try not to think about the 90s show that much or, or we're trying to do our own thing, there is an essence of the character that is across all of the different iterations. If you get down to the purest form of Sabrina, she's capricious. She leaps without looking. She is headstrong. She's a little rebellious. You know, these are traits that have existed within that character from the start. That's so awesome. So I'm wondering... Whether you're working on this show or in any of the other things that you've written, and we haven't even talked about a series of unfortunate events, are you incorporating any kind of magical practice into your writing at all? I do. I am a tarot reader, so I'll often use that when I'm writing. So I've done tarot readings for Sabrina and the aunties. I've done them for the Baudelaire orphans. If I get stuck, I'm like, okay, what is this character thinking right now? And I'll pull a couple of cards and that will give me a direction to write towards. Or if I'm stuck, I can say like, what kind of energy do I need to bring to this process to get unstuck? And so I'll pull a card and go from there. And then I'm always lighting candles and pouring Florida water and all that sort of stuff <laughs> that everybody does. So. Sure, sure. Do you have any examples off the top of your head of a card that you've pulled that sent you in a different direction in your writing or that cast some light that you needed cast? Yeah, there was a time where I was writing for a character and I couldn't crack the scene. It's because I was making them approach this situation sort of like thoughtfully and quietly. And then I drew strength in reverse, which to me is like, don't do that. Carry a big stick, be loud, take up room. And so that's the kind of thing that I put into practice for myself. That's so interesting. And when did you start incorporating tarot into your creative practice? I started reading tarot in general uh, about six years ago. And so I've been doing it for probably three or four years. It's really helpful. And if I want to write a new project, I'll use tarot to decide what character am I going to create? What's their inner life like? Or what situation are they in? And so I'll use it as like a jumping off point a lot too. That's so awesome. And what made you decide to use it with writing? Because most of the folks that I know when they're pulling cards, it's about their lives in general. But it's rarer, I think, that people are using tarot specifically for creative decision making in the ways that you're describing. Yeah. Well, I mean, I use it the more traditional way as well. Writers get stuck in creative processes the way that people get stuck in their daily lives. So for me, it was just a natural progression to use the tarot that way. I love that. I think that's a really great thing for people to hear too, because I can't even tell you how many emails I get for, <laughs> from people who are just starting out and they want to know what are books I recommend and what are techniques and all of this stuff. And I totally understand where people are coming from because people are looking for guidance. But my kind of boilerplate answer is that the beauty of this path is that it is self-directed and that you really can 
use these tools and use these spells in ways that feel supremely personal and that they are adaptable. So if someone wants to use tarot to help finish their fiction story that they're working on or whatever, that's totally kosher. You can absolutely do that. And I really love that you came to that conclusion in your own natural way and by trusting yourself and trusting the cards. 100%. And tarot, like witchcraft, is a path. It's not a destination. So you're always the fool. You're always on the fool's journey. Look, I've been reading tarot for like five or six years. I'm taking Lindsay Mack's tarot course right now, even though I know that deck like the back of my hand. Shout out to Lindsay. Lindsay Mack, I love you. Because every couple of years, it's important to start over as the fool. And I'm a very experienced tarot reader, but fuck yeah, I have a lot to learn from Lindsay Mack. And I won't adopt everything that she teaches, but I'll certainly adopt a lot of it, I'm sure. Always find teachers, always be on the path, always be the fool. It's the best place to be. I love that. And for those newbie witches, my understanding of the fool is that it's about beginner's mind. It's really about just having that open point of view, that guilelessness, that naivete in a way. Josh, how else would you interpret that card? I think that's exactly right. Some decks it's called like the student or the quest. It's the idea of leaping into something with a great big open heart and starting a journey with that frame of mind. I love that. I love that. And also the idea that the major arcana of the tarot ends with the world. So the fool's the first card. The fool goes through the full journey of the tarot. And then you start back over again as the fool. It's the cycle. So we're always leveling up and then starting again as the fool on the next level. Yes. And Speaking of which, I remember being in touch with you when the Sabrina show was announced, and I think you were still writing for the Lemony Snicket show. So I have to ask, did you do anything to manifest this hiring process for yourself? How did you get hired for Sabrina? Oh my God, Pam, I did so much. (laughs) So first of all, it's just The show started writing December of 2017. I was not on the show. In fact, I jokingly tweeted, Netflix made a big mistake not hiring me for Sabrina because I really wanted to be on the show. (laughs) And so I thought that I had missed the chance, that I didn't get it. So I just went on with my life. And then in like March, I get a call from my agent saying that Roberto wanted to meet with me for either Riverdale or Sabrina, but more likely Sabrina. And I was like, that's so funny because I know that they've been writing for a month. So I wonder what the deal is. And so I lit all kinds of candles. I did all kinds of mojo. And then I ended up getting the job. But what had happened was Roberto had been working with the writers for a few months. He felt like the room wasn't quite full enough. And so three different people that he knows recommended me separately from one another. And that's how I got the job. And so I was the last writer in the door. They, you know, I, I started working on episode four or something like that. So it was just divine. Oh, that is so beautiful. I have shivers just hearing about that. And it just, it makes me so happy because this show is like made for you. It really feels like a culmination of your skills and your interests and where you're at in your career. Yeah. I mean, I have spent my whole career basically writing for teenage girls and also writing horror. So the combination of these two things is like kismet. I I couldn't ask for a better fit. 
I'm so thrilled for you. I'm so thrilled about this show. I can't wait to watch it. I've already decided I love it. <laughs> Just, <laughs> uh, as they say in wrestling, I'm such a mark. So I am ready. My body is ready. My spirit is ready. I'm going to get the popcorn. Would you recommend that everyone binges the show? How, how many episodes are there, first of all? There are 10 episodes, season one, and then we're doing a season two, which also has 10 episodes. Yes. Binge it if you want to. I like to parse it out. Maybe like two at a time is good for me. Okay. But um, I try to practice a lot of temperance in my life. So <laughs> that's just me. Love it. Well, I am so excited for you. I'm so happy for you. And I can't wait to see what's next for you as well. I mean, I know this is where you're going to be focused for a good long while. But do you still have other side projects you're working on right now? Yeah, I wrote a horror film called Cold Spell that just got optioned by Kevin Williamson from Scream fame yes! and Miramax. So maybe that'll get made. Oh, that's so exciting. That's news to me. Congratulations, Josh. Thank you. Thank you so much. Of course, as ever, I have like 90 more questions, but hopefully you'll come back on. Absolutely. Josh, thank you so much. Um, before we end, where can people find you? How can they find out more about you? And oh, no, we didn't talk about Edie, your beautiful new dog. <laughs> yeah, uh, Edie is the most beautiful dog in the world. She's an Italian greyhound. So if you want to see her, you can follow me on Instagram. It's just my <laughs> name, Joshua Conkle. But I'm most active on Twitter. So it's just at Joshua Conkle. Awesome. And your website as well is just your name, if I'm remembering correctly. Is that right? Yeah. JoshuaConcold.com. Josh, congratulations. May many more good things come your way. And thank you so much for being on the Witch Wave. Thank you so much. That's it for the show. Thank you again to Joshua Conkle for joining me and being such a delight. And everybody be sure to watch Chilling Adventures of Sabrina on Netflix this Friday and beyond. Do you have questions, feedback, need some witchly advice, or just want to share something magical that happened to you recently? Drop me an email at witchwavepodcast at gmail.com. I'd love to hear from you, and you just might make it on the Witch Wire. The Witch Wave is produced and recorded by me, Pam Grossman. This episode was edited by Rachel Jacobs. Thank you, Rachel, and myself. Our theme music is by Lycanthia. Special thanks go to Matt Freeman and Chiquita Pascal. You can check out information about this and other episodes on our website, witchwavepodcast.com. Please subscribe to us on iTunes and give us lots of sparkly stars. It really makes a difference, and I'd be so grateful to you. You can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at witchwavepod. Check out my witch emoji for iPhone by going to witchemoji.com or downloading it in the App Store. And please consider pre-ordering my book, Waking the Witch. Thank you so much for listening. Witches are the future. I'll catch you next time on The Witch Wave. The Witch Wave.